Here at Vermont Ed Reads, we are big fans of finding yourself in a book. Whether you're a stinky, nervous wreck of a middle grade student, or a winsome and confident Vermont educator, you can still empathize with the stinky, nervous wreck of a middle grade student. We love the kind of books where you can find someone to identify with, no matter what. On the show today, I'm joined by Kendra LaRoche, a humanities teacher at Burr and Burton Academy down in Manchester, Vermont. Both she and I found a ton of characters we loved in Look Both Ways by Jason Reynolds. Whether you're a low cut or a class cut up, a checklister or a skater check, we're sure you'll find some way of wanting to talk about this amazing book with your students. So pull up a seat, open to the title page, and let's... Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Before we go any further, I should note that Kendra and I found it pretty much impossible to avoid spoilers for Look Both Ways during this conversation. So, spoilers, tons of them, for the book. Okay, now let's chat. Thanks for joining me, Kendra. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, Jeannie. Thank you for having me. I'm a humanities teacher at Burr and Burton Academy and also a 2011 Roland Fellow. The passion that I have is working with students who are reading below their grade level, and I want to improve their reading skills mainly through instilling a love of reading. Wow. That just gives me chills. Thank it's exciting for, work. <laughs> thank you for doing the hard work you do. So the first question I always like to ask, because I'm always growing my to-be-read pile, is what are you reading right now? I'm reading Buried Beneath the Bobab Tree by Noabani. I think I pronounced her name right. I'm hopeful I did. Um, I'm reading that because I'm really committed to introducing more current global novels into our humanities curriculum. We shouldn't really be reading the same dead white men that we were reading when I was in high school. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this book. It takes place in Nigeria, um, and it takes place during uh, when Boko Haram had kidnapped a uh, bunch of girls from a school and it really takes place as a fictionalized story first from the point of view of one of the girls who was taken but then the second half of the book is actually a nonfiction journalistic viewpoint of um, interviewing all those girls and what actually happened the idea being that not many people actually talked about that incident and they wanted to get the word out what a fantastic choice for a humanities classroom yeah, I haven't decided whether or not we're going to use it, but um, I'm committed to really reading a bunch of books to see which ones I want to use. And this one, it, it talks about some great ideas. It's also really hard. Um, how do you introduce ideas of rape, for instance, into uh, a high school classroom in a way that both honors the people uh, who are in the classroom and also honors the people who awful things happen to? Yeah. Wow. That's a big question. It is, and it's not one we're going to be able to answer today. <laughs> yes, I, I am going to um, be talking about um, Speak and Shout by Laurie Haas Anderson in, a, mm -hmm. in an upcoming episode and thinking about how do we teach consent. So tune in, listeners, for a future episode to talk more about this. Well, Kendra, uh, you and I are both big Jason Reynolds fans, I know, mm -hmm. from a conversation a, a couple months ago. And um, so let's dig into talking about this book, um, his 
Well, I don't even want to say newest because he's always got new ones coming out. But one of his recent books, Look Both Ways, I wondered if you'd set the stage a little bit for this book. Sure. It's essentially a tale told in 10 blocks. It's interesting because each chapter name is actually the street name uh, for that particular uh, character that they live on. It all takes place in a middle school when the bell rings and then everyone leaves and goes their separate ways down their own street in which the chapter is named for. What I like about it a lot is their commitment to their Jason Reynolds' commitment to various narrators, whether those um, narrators are gay or straight or male or female, whether they are serious or goofy, whether they're socially intelligent or autistic. Yeah, there's a whole cast of characters in this book, isn't there? Yes, and none of them are the same, and that's just fascinating. So each each chapter is has a different narrator, and yet they show up in each other's chapters too, right? They do. There's lots of overlap, but you're almost looking for the overlap, and you wouldn't have noticed these minor characters if the narrator had been the same, and yet you do notice them simply because you've read about them before. Yeah. So one of the things I appreciate that really shows up in this book is Jason Reynolds' a real appreciative lens for young people. Um, as he writes for them, he doesn't write down to them or patronize them. He sort of has this real keen eye for making young people, these characters really fully formed and um, not in like a preachy way, like in this way that you feel like they're real folks. And I wondered if you um, noticed that too about his writing. Yes, he has this beautiful way of being fully there and fully present with each of his characters. Uh, If we look at um, Fatima Moss, uh, which is the chapter on Portal Ave in uh, in the book, I love how she has a checklist for everything that she does. Um, I read Fatima as on the autism spectrum. That's never said. Jason Reynolds um, doesn't talk about that directly. And so I may or may not be uh, right on that. But she focuses so much on routine, on concrete uh, solutions to changing the world, Her concrete solution is she's going to fill in the cracks so nobody has to fall down and they don't have to look down all the time. They can look both ways. They also can look uh, up into the sky and look to the future. What I love about what Reynolds does is he beautifully allows us to dive into the mind of an autistic middle schooler. I hadn't thought about Fatima that way, but I just want to pull open her checklist and let's read a little portion of her checklist because it's so interesting. I'm on page... 61. Fatima Moss talks to only one person on her way home from school, and before she talks to that person, she keeps a checklist of all the things on her journey that have changed, and all the things that have stayed the same. That one person and their sameness or differentness included. This is that checklist. 1. Bell rings for 5 seconds. 2. 28 students, 29 including me, dash from Ms. Broom's English class. Difference? Today, Trista Smith and Britton Burns ran faster than everyone. Almost knocked Sam Mosby over. Three, I take off. Four, the whole school crowds into the hallway. And so Fatima Massa's checklist continues. All the way through several pages later, we get up to 37 before something interrupts her checklist. It really puts us into the shoes of of her life. 
as, as the bell rings. It does. It makes us realize what she is looking for and what she's not looking for. And she's looking for samenesses and differences. Uh, and we find out later why she's looking for this. We don't want to give anything away, reader. You're going to have to read uh, <laughs> the chapter, How to Look Both Both Ways yourself to find out more about Fatima Moss but it's true like Jason Reynolds just writes her as a fully human person he doesn't you know try to make us like her I just so appreciate his um, strengths-based lens on young people it shows up again and again in this book I wanted every teacher to read it just for that just for that purpose of like this is what it looks like to really see kids yes and I wanted every student to read it so that they can understand some of the other students around them do you want to say more about that? Yes. Uh, it helps the students to understand um, not only the autistic kids in class who sometimes might be the smartest ones in the room, but the other students just don't understand what they're talking about, where they're coming from, or the nuances that they are able to address that other students aren't ready to address. But it also helps them to understand the um, the person in the room who doesn't talk very much and that they're not just antisocial, but maybe they have a good reason to be that way. That might bring us to another chapter that we will talk about in a moment. Yeah, it makes me think too, some of the, some of the characters in this book have experienced trauma in one way or another. And I think it's a real experience and empathy to step into their shoes and what that looked like for them and what the repercussions are in their lives. So thanks for pointing that out. Um, so some of the characters in this book are, sort of end up surprising us. Um, and so I'm thinking about um, the chapter, The Low Cut Strike Again, which takes place on uh, Placer Street. Placer Street or Placer Street? I read it as Placer, but I'm not really sure. Um, so whichever it is, Placer or Placer, let us know, Jason Reynolds, how you'd pronounce it. Um, there's a group of, of a foursome of uh, troublemaking kids um, and then by the end of the chapter, you have a completely different view of them. And I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about the low cuts. I would love to because they were the most surprising uh, characters in a lot of surprising characters. Reynolds' ability to draw in the reader is um, a little bit mind-blowing, actually. We like the low cuts when we first start reading, but we don't want to. They steal. And you think about this as uh, like some middle school or early high school kids reading this. And as children, we're always told, well, stealing is wrong. There's never any nuance to it. Um, the fact that this there is a nuance here makes the middle school or high school reader recognize that the book is not meant for little kids. This is going to draw them in big time. We also are just begging the author to give us a reason to like them. And he doesn't uh, disappoint us in this. We're given that reason just when we find out at the end that they steal the money to buy ice cream for Bit, one of the characters' mom. She has cancer. One of my favorite lines is, the other low cuts watched Bit, the hustler. Bit who could turn 90 cents into nine bucks into ice cream, turn into a son. That's on page 40. And Reynolds pulls off this, um, this change in the, uh, the low cuts from stealers to people who have mothers who might have cancer and have really good reasons to be stealing some change from other people. He has us following every twist and turn in this really prolonged description of an afternoon where every 
penny is counted and stretched into something new. Yes, I love this chapter. And what I love is um, Jason Reynolds includes the candy lady, right? What's her name? Is her name is Cece? I don't remember. Let's go to that <laughs> chapter because yes. he includes um, the candy lady. And Jason Reynolds actually had a candy lady in his own growing up. And so reading that felt like a little bit of reading um, from his childhood. Her name is Miss, Ms. Cece. Um, and she's she's uh, spunky, Miss Cece. Oh, she's fantastic. Uh, she tells everybody what's what and doesn't let anyone get away with anything. And uh, the while the uh, kids actually at first a little bit seem like they're making fun of her, in the end they use her own words to get the, to where they want to be, and that's kind of fun to see. Could you read a little bit from Miss Cece? I'm on page thirty. Um, uh, maybe towards the middle of page uh, 30, okay today in the penny, nickel, and dime category. <laughs> Could you start there and read on to the next page? Sure. She set the boxes up on the table. Okay, today in the penny, nickel, and dime category, we got the old stuff. You always say that when we come here. Don't nobody want no stale candy, Miss Cece, Fit said, fighting himself to cool his tone. It's not stale, Britain. It's just older styles of candies, like how them Michael Jordan sneakers y'all been p paying all that money for keep getting remade. That's what this is. Retro candy. Hard to get and used to cost only a penny apiece when I was a little girl. But I got to charge, charge y'all four cents more. Attitude tax. I love that part. <laughs> I like that they get an attitude tax. <laughs> Do you want me to continue? Uh, yes, I want to get to the names of the candy. Sure. Bit cocked his head. Miss Cece cocked hers right back. Let that be a lesson, son. Plus, everything costs more over time. Inflation, Francie said. Sounds more like deflation, Bit grumbled under his breath, patting his pockets. What you say? Miss Cece asked, adding the last box to the lineup on the table. Nothing, John John subbed in for Bit. Okay, y'all know the rundown, Miss Cece said. I got Mary Jane's, Tootsie Rolls, Squirrel Nut Zippers. Bit did his best to trap his laugh, but a pfft slipped from his mouth. No matter how tough and tight he was, Squirrel Nut Zippers broke him every time. Every time. <laughs> I just love this whole chapter. It's early on in the book, and I just fell in love with the whole book because of the low cuts. Um, they aren't the only surprising characters, uh, but they certainly are... Um, uh, the four who make you change your mind about kids, I think, in interesting ways. Um, but there's another character who really broke my heart, and I'm thinking about Pia right now. Mm -hmm. um, from the moment you meet Pia, you know she's got a lot going on. She's, she's tough. She's, um, she doesn't let anybody in. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about Pia. Sure, yeah. She's that hardened middle schooler who only lets her skateboard talk. Um, the skateboard actually does talk. It, it has a quote in the book, get out of the way or pay. Uh, but she doesn't talk to anybody else at school. In fact, I went back and looked, and she doesn't talk to anyone through the entire chapter, except at the very end when she actually goes to her sister's grave. We don't know what she says there, but it's the first time when we know that she's going to actually speak. Her pain radiates as she strokes her skateboard, which is its own type of communication. She's named her skateboard, 
and she grinds her skateboard against the curve while uh, proving a point to a bully. That same bully knocks her down and knocks her board to the ground, and then an oncoming car runs over the board and splinters it to pieces. That is devastating for Pia as it reminds her of her own sister's death. However, it wasn't Pia that my heart broke for in this chapter. While her story is certainly tragic, um, the story of another boy, uh, Stevie, is just as heartbreaking for me. Um, the, the bully who ends up um, knocking Pia over we find out is also beat up daily by his father. He has his own reasons for his actions. Another boy in the group of bullies who stood around and watched it all happen was only there because he was rather bulldozed into it. Uh, This boy, Stevie, waits outside of Pia's school the next day after breaking her skateboard to apologize not for any action but for inaction, for his silence. She doesn't realize this. She sneaks out the back of the school to go to her sister's grave. We understand that. She doesn't know he's waiting for her. However, my heart broke in that moment just as much for Stevie and his inability to apologize and therefore to receive forgiveness as for Pia and the pain of her sister's death. Yeah. Wow, you capture that so beautifully. I um. I think there's also something that Jason Reynolds gets at in this book that I think would make a really interesting classroom conversation, which is this idea that girls can't skate, right? And that if a girl is better than a boy at something like skating or something athletic, um, that she will be taunted or she becomes a target in a way because of her skill. And so there's something related to maybe the Me Too movement or about um, thinking about... um, the fight for equal pay for the women's soccer team that um, I think could come up and be uh, discussed in a class based on Pia and her experience as this like fierce skateboard girl. Hmm. And the whole bu- reason that the bully bullies her in the end is because she's a better skateboarder. He came out and tried one time and hurt himself and embarrassed himself. His underwear showed because he split his pants open and he's never really forgiven her for that. Yeah. Yeah. There's something I just... I don't know. There's something so astute in Jason Reynolds' portrayal of Pia and the sort of everyday lived experience of some girls in school and and um, uh, their this gendered experience they have. Yes, and for boys, he treats both with uh, equal humanness. So yes, we have uh, Pia's gendered experience as a girl who's a skater but we also have stevie's gendered experience as a boy who has no interest in beating other people up or being the best athlete and yet is really expected to fit into these male stereotypes yeah absolutely thank you so much for um for articulating the way in which reynolds is challenging the whole gender continuum Mm. with this with this really simple chapter about um about skateboarding, about Pia and her skateboard and her um, drive to ride. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. There's also, I mean, that chapter with Pia is really painful for lots of reasons that we've already articulated, but there's also just so much humor in this book. Oh my gosh, I had laughed out loud. I mean, even the first chapter starts with boogers. 
lots and lots of boogers. But um, the, the chapter I laughed the hardest at was about Gregory Pitts. And um, I, I want to just share, I want to read a little section of Gregory Pitts. So let's find him because, oh my gosh, did that make me laugh. Uh, this is the chapter called How a Boy Can Become a Grease Fire and the Street is Roger Street. What page are you on? I am on page 157. Thank you. Gregory Pitt's friends love him so much that they told him the truth. And the truth was he smelled dead, like rotten. It wasn't that he was rotten, but just that he smelled like his body had mistaken its organs for garbage and that he was essentially a walking, talking trash can. And on this, of all days, that smell just wasn't going to cut it. So, in an act of service and sheer desperation, Ramar Vaughn, Joey Santiago, and Candace Green, Gregory's crew, decided to help him out because today was a day of romance. Before we got going, you sure you good, Candace? Joey asked. I heard what happened to Bryson. Bryson was Candace's cousin. He'd gotten jumped the day before. Yeah, it's cool. Bryson's a tough kid, Candace said. Plus, we walk in that way, so as soon as we get done with Loverboy here, I'm going to stop by and see him. And the chapter continues. Uh, each of... Um, each of his friends, each of Gregory Pitts's friends, has brought some product to help uh, sharpen him up and make him smell a little better so he can ask out the girl he likes. And I have to say, the last time I laughed this hard at um, uh, middle grade's fiction was The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1964. <laughs> have you read that? Yes, I have. <laughs> when uh, he kisses the, the mirror on the car is the last time I laughed that hard <laughs> as at this chapter i would buy this book just for this chapter it's such comic relief it would make such great read aloud material i think in front of a class of middle school kids because it's so real it's not fake humor this is the real problem that so many middle school kids have all the time do i smell how do i fix it i'm sure i do how do i ask somebody out it's so scary <laughs> it's so scary and uh you know there's axe body spray there's like lotion involved and poor Gregory Pitts has not ever encountered any of these things before right there's chapstick I believe or or Vaseline or something for his lips um so hilarious did you I mean there's so many other places in this book that there's humor what was your favorite laugh out loud <laughs> moment from look both ways I loved the characters Simeon and Kenzie uh, they were definitely my favorite there's so many different types of humor in that chapter. There's the physical humor of Simeon's gigantic size and Kenzie's diminutive one. And uh, we see them earlier in other chapters where Kenzie is on the back of Simeon and they're running through the hall. And we wonder the whole book, why in the world is one kid on another kid's back? And we find out the reasons for it. Uh, then there's also the typical teenage know-it-all, fast-talking, get-out-of-trouble conversation that they have with Miss Wonkley, whose face is hilariously described as a pink raisin by Reynolds. And it reminds me of how uh, my students probably see me most of the time <laughs> as this person who uh, they need to get out of trouble with and whose face might resemble a pink raisin when she feels like she's getting upset. Uh, the language that Reynolds used later in the chapter also makes me laugh. Um, 
he describes plastic bags floating around their feet like happy shrapnel. And that co- that contrast of happy and shrapnel, they, they don't go together at all. And yet when they're put together, they make a really humorous image in my mind. Like the, the contrast of the happy shrapnel and the size difference between Simeon and Kenzie, these are all done for more than just humor, humor's sake by Reynolds. Um, we needed to actually find this pairing uh, strange and humorous. We needed to wonder the entire time why they were friends. And we do find out at the end of the chapter that Simeon's older brother had stolen a car and that Kenzie's older brother took the hit for it and is in jail. These two end up being closer than brothers because of it. Yeah. And there's that moment when they finally do their handshake, their super involved, long handshake that also felt just like such a real middle school moment, right? And that handshake honors their brothers. Oh, definitely. It's the handshake is only there because of their brothers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful kinship that they have. I also was thinking about this. um, I discussed it with um, Corey Smith when we talked about the benefits of being an octopus, which is there's a website that you can go to that has excerpts of young adult and middle grades fiction for how how, um, teachers look through the lens of students through fiction. And I think this is another example where teachers turn up and are seen as allies, as... um, as champions, but also as um, pragmatic, in pragmatic ways through the eyes of these characters, right? It's a way of sort of getting a glimpse into how we're seen, like you said about the pink raisin. (laughs) Yes, uh, always a little bit loving, but never quite on top of everything that's going on. (laughs) Yes, yes. Somebody you might be able to pull the wool over their eyes. Definitely. Thinking about how Jason Reynolds has constructed this book with this intersection of characters and stories, I think it's a little bit unusual. And the book that came to mind for me is um, Paul Fleischman's Seed Folks. Have you read that? I haven't. Um, it's a it's a great middle grades book. It's um, sort of about a community garden, and like this book, it's told from from the perspective of the people who have plots in the community garden, right? Mm-hmm. And so this book too is about a community. It's about a community of kids, and um, who live around the school, the walkers. None of them are on the bus, right? The bus goes mm-hmm. by every day, right? There's one character in particular who interacts with the bus every day. Is that Fatima? It is. Yes, Fatima Moss interacts with the bus, but these kids are all walkers and so they all live right there and like um Paul Fleischman's seed folks it's sort of about this community this sort of um and the community experience that happens probably from about three o'clock to five o'clock right as they're leaving school and heading home um and so this feels like that perfect middle school community book I'd almost want to start the year with this book and I wondered if you had other suggestions or ideas for books that um I don't know that that might be companions to this one. I love the connections that Reynolds makes uh, in this book. And that's why it that's why this book struck me as one that would be perfect, I agree, for a first book of the year. There are there are connections between chapters. Uh, we've talked about some of that already. Um, we it almost compels the reader to ask questions as they read, looking for the answers as they go. Uh, as a teacher, this is a reading style that we try to teach. Ask questions as you go. And so I would love to use this in the classroom with some students to um, to make them really understand that reading strategy. 
there's also connections um, in which we don't we want to know why, for instance, there's a hole in the rose bush that comes up in one of the chapters as just a glance around the neighborhood. Hmm, why is there a hole in the rose bush? We have no idea until later on we find out that uh, Ty um, has a best friend who took a beating for him. And then Ty brings his black and blue friend a bunch of roses. He just stuck his hand into that rose bush and pulled out a bunch of roses. And he says more with flowers than really needed to be said out loud uh, by Ty or even said out loud by uh, the narrator. One of the biggest connections that I found was um, that in every chapter, there's a mention of a school bus falling from the sky. And I kept asking myself, why in the world is Reynolds uh, talking about a school bus falling from the sky? And I had this Me bit too. of fear. Me yes. too. It was, I kept guessing. Go on. Yes. And my guess uh, was something that I was worried he was going to do. I was worried that in the end there was going to be this big tragedy and that lots of people would die and all of these characters we met um, would either die or be tragically injured. Uh, which is, I think, a mistake that a lot of young adult authors make is they think that in order to sell a book to a young audience, they need to make something huge happen. But of course, Reynolds doesn't do this because Reynolds is an amazing author. In the end, we encounter a heart-wrenching story about a son, Canton is his name, who's worried about his mother getting hit by a bus. She is a crossing guard. The school janitor gives Canton an emotional support dog. And if you could see me saying that in quotes, I am doing that. And this emotional support dog is actually made out of the head of a broom. And he carries it with him while his mom works every day. In the end, this broom head no longer resembles a dog, but a bus. And Canton outgrows his fear, ends up throwing this broom head up in the air over and over again. And as it sheds its bristles, his mom comments that it is a school bus falling from the sky. This is not a story of disaster, but a story of overcoming life's difficulties. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over again, it's about, um, I think, um, I think over and over again, this book is about the daily acts of resilience of kids, right? It's about the ways in which kids are gritty all the time. Yes, it's not, they don't need to have something huge happen to them in order to be heroes in their own lives. Yeah. I, um, there's another character that just brings that up for me. And, um, obviously listeners, we can't introduce you to every character, even though we (laughs) really want to, but, um, the character I'm thinking about is, um, she has comedy shows and she makes me laugh so hard. Uh, well, good, because I think she wants you to laugh. She really (laughs) does, right? Almost as much as she wants her grandpa to laugh. And her mom. And her mom, yeah. Cynthia. Um, she has a comedy show all the time, and she's so kind to her grandfather who has um, lost the love of his life and in such quirky ways. I don't even want to go into it, but she uh, she's constantly telling um, these quirky, funny jokes and, and working on her humor so for example at one point she says um don't divide me from the class mrs stevens please don't divide us cynthia would fake beg doubling down on the math joke (laughs) 
Oh, I'm not planning on doing any division, Cynthia. I'm thinking more along the lines of subtraction. <laughs> That's from page 139. And so she's constantly working on um, her humor for good reason that I think in a classroom we can sometimes just think somebody's trying to be distracting or annoying. But her whole backstory gives us the reason why humor is so important to her and what she's seeking in it. And um, I don't know, she just... She just really touched me. Yes, and we talked earlier about how adults are also seen by kids. And this teacher, while she has no idea why Cynthia needs to make these jokes, she gives Cynthia the space to be her. And I also really enjoyed reading about that and how much it meant to Cynthia in her larger life story. Yeah. Um, I know we're going to come up on this, and so I don't know whether to bring it up now, but it makes me think about... um, Um, the way Jason Reynolds interacts with kids. It's really important to him to really see kids. And he spends a lot of time traveling around the country, visiting with kids. He was in Vermont at the beginning of the school year in Johnson, working with um, students in their teacher ed program. Uh, But also just he visits high schools and middle schools and really sees kids. And I'm going to wait a little bit to um, let you introduce the video that we're both really excited (laughs) about. Um, So let's move along to um, how might you use this text in the classroom? You talked a little bit about how much you'd love to use it maybe at the beginning of the year. But what are some of the things you might do with this text? I teach a class uh, for reluctant readers. particularly a a class for students who are high school students but might read below the fifth grade reading level, and we overtly teach reading strategies to them. Sometimes these strategies are not taught in a um, maybe college-bound class as often because a lot of these students already use these strategies without realizing it. But uh, this book can be used to practice the particular reading style of asking questions to the text. I could also use this in the opposite end of the spectrum. You could use this in an AP level class or for uh, students who wish to be stronger writers. They're looking to incorporate multiple perspectives into a text. What I found fascinating is that Reynolds actually doesn't follow the typical story arc of rising action, climax, falling action. Um, Instead, each chapter has its own story arc This could lead to a disjointed book, um, but of course Jason Reynolds uh, doesn't do that. Those who dream of writing in a new style can analyze how Reynolds manages this feat. I would pair it with a short documentary by Christian Malone, which I believe is the one you were just referring to, called Dear Dreamer. And I love how Reynolds talks about the rhythm of his writing in this short doc. He talks like a musician. He uses his fingers to tap out the words that he writes. It gives a new perspective on how to choose words in a book and how to use space in a book as well. You know, that's so interesting um, that you're pointing that out because um, Jason Reynolds really loves Queen Latifah. (laughs) and um, wanted to be a rapper. I've seen him speak and um, sort of had this notion of rapping. And so he, and a lot of his stories um, are in poem, poetry form, right? And so he really does think about space and rhythm the way a poet does. And um, that video just gives such a great example to show kids about the thought with which he puts into his writing, the way he sort of plays with it. It's very playful. Um, and so just thinking about that as a way to give kids options for other ways to convey their thoughts and to think about the words on a page, I think is so fascinating. I would love to see your class do that. 
You'll invite me in, won't you? (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, it's not often that a book could be used both in a class for students below a fifth grade reading level and also in an AP class where seniors could examine the artistry of it. Yeah, and there's so much artistry Mm. to it. It's so sophisticated. Um, I think that's one of the things that people miss when they think about writing for young adults is the level of sophistication that is present when you're creating such a... Um, a work of art as Look Both Ways. And um, Jason Reynolds also addresses that in Dear Dreamer. Folks, you got to watch Dear Dreamer. (laughs) I love it so much. I've watched it many times. It's just such a beautiful little 10-minute short film about Jason Reynolds and his process and his writing and his approach to the world. And his approach to students and how he actually is very deliberate in how he looks when he shows up at a high school to speak to them. He talks about his hair and how off-putting it can be for some people, but that when he walks into a school, while some people might be put off by him, others are saying, wow, I didn't know people who look like me could do what he does. Yes. Such an important message, right? Like, um, I think also kids seeing themselves in this book in this way feel it's such a validating thing both to see him um, in classroom spaces as a writer, right, as somebody to esteem, but also his characters are just so fully drawn that it's also like seeing yourself, seeing your middle school self, if you will, in text, which is also a really powerful experience, right? You don't have to save the world or rescue a dog or, right, like you don't have to, um, I don't know, Um, hike across the U.S., right? Like you can just be living your daily life and be seen and valued as a human Mm. in his books. Did you recognize yourself in any of the characters? Yeah. I think I recognized my middle school self recognized herself in some of Pia, some of Pia's experience. Um, Definitely like some of the, like there's something about the low cuts that helped me see myself and like their... There's a way in which the characters in this book are dealing with adversity in interesting ways, right? Or with the death of a loved one or somebody they know, right? They're dealing with all these layers of things um, that I definitely felt real to me, right? The One of the characters that, um, the character you talked about at the very end, is it Carson? Yes. With the, the pretend support dog, like his feelings for his mother, his worry about his mother, that felt so real to me. And I won't say I had that experience, but I had those feelings as a young person. Mm, Always wanting to protect other people. Yeah, fear. Mm. Yeah, that fear of, of what will happen if. Yeah. Did you see myself in any characters? Yes. Uh, the actual, the very first chapter, while it didn't bring me, draw me in as well as some of the other chapters. The, I agree with you, the low cuts drew me in more than um, than any others. But the first character um, had this teasing relationship with her best friend. It was the chapter on the boogers. <laughs> and while I was a little grossed out by it, I will say that that relationship that she had with her best friend, who was male, and that didn't seem to bother either of them in the slightest, and that they just went back and forth with um, with a little bit of making fun, a little bit of being fine with being made fun of. And uh, that ease of communication between them was beautiful and reminded me of some of my closest friends at that age. Mm, that's wonderful. I love that. 
Well, let's let's riff on some other books we might um, <laughs> suggest to fans of Jason Reynolds or um, other books um, that um, we could suggest to the Vermont uh, education community. Sure. Ooh, I have different suggestions for different people. If you're a teacher, particularly if you're in Vermont, you have a white community, I suggest you consider All-American Boy. I have used this uh, in the classroom to give perspective on the interactions between, um, between my students and people of color, and particularly about white privilege. Mm. Um, we actually have used this as, um, as a... Um, a choice for students. They could read um, All American Boy or The Hate You Give. Uh, I know that The Hate You Give is uh, also extremely popular right now to be to be talking about, um, but it's a little more difficult to read. While All American Boy can be accessed by anybody, and yet the nuances are still there. You know what's really unusual about that book too that I think is really great in the classroom is it's written by two authors. Yes. Right? And so you go back and forth between a perspective of a white author writing a white character and a black author writing a black character, Jason Reynolds being the black author, and um, I think it's Brendan Keeley maybe yes. is the um, other writer. And um, there's something own voices about that, right? This idea of who gets to tell what story that would be really interesting in the classroom as well. Yes, who gets to tell what story, and then which story do they choose to tell, too? Um, it might be surprising for a reader to, to um, find that the white author and then therefore white character is actually far more sympathetic to um, the black character in the book than originally supposed um, when we first are introduced to him because of the culture that he's in. Yeah. Yeah, I love that book. I think it's a really important one. <laughs> I do too. Uh, but if you're someone who's listening to this and you just want to read more by Jason Reynolds, I loved Long Way Down. Uh, this book takes place on an elevator ride and each floor has a new revelation. And some of them are, are difficult re revelations. Um, I also want to add, just because my 12-year-old daughter loves Ghost, that uh, that is one that lots and lots of young people in particular have enjoyed. Um, I have never read a book by Jason Reynolds that I didn't like, so if you pick one up by him, uh, I think you'll probably enjoy it. Um, just when I think I've nailed down his style, he surprises me with an entirely new angle. Yeah, he's got a new book coming out um, in the new year. It's a rewrite of Ibram Kendi Stamped from the Beginning, um, sort of a history of racism in this country that I just cannot wait to get my hands on. Um, I think it comes out in March. So another one to look forward to. Nonfiction. I think that's a new genre for him. I think so, too. I'm excited to see how he does with it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, well, so many great suggestions, Kendra. Thank you so much. Um, it's such a pleasure to be in your classroom, and uh, um, you've got beautiful books all over the place I keep eyeing, and um, to hear your suggestions for how you would use uh, Look Both Ways and, um, and to hear all your insights into it. Any last thoughts on uh, Look Both Ways? Read it. <laughs> that's, that's very good advice. <laughs> Thank you, Jeannie, for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm 
I'm Jeannie Phillips, and this has been an episode of Vermont Ed Reads, talking about what Vermont's educators and students are reading. Thank you to Kendra LaRoche for appearing on the show and talking with me about Look Both Ways. If you're looking for a copy of Look Both Ways, check your local library. Special thanks to the incredible Audrey Holman for all of her work on the podcast. To find out more about Vermont Ed Reads, including past episodes, upcoming guests and reads, and a whole lot more, you can visit vtedreads.tarrantinstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at vtedreads. This podcast is a project of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont.